adoration. So she turned in her dictionary over to the word adoration. The word adoration, uh, again, doesn't talk about something you do in the church auditorium. Adoration is to love something, to have passion for something, at times excessive affection for something. And it doesn't have to be for God, of course. In the word adoration, we understand this because we haven't churchified it. The word worship has been so churchified that we can't think about what it means in our everyday lives. But adoration, we understand. See, adoration is, is how you show love to someone that you care about. And if you've ever thought that, and I want to take a second and just think about how you show love to the people in your family and that you care about the most. And I want to challenge you that whatever it is that is your natural way of demonstrating love, that that's how you should be worshiping God. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm not much of a songbird. I'll try and sing a little bit later, but, but I'm not much of a songbird. Uh, I have never serenaded my wife in a way that I thought she would go, wow, that was a really good musical performance. <laughs> I play to my strengths, right? Uh, play what your game's got. My game doesn't have that in the repertoire. And yet when I go to church, that's the only way that I'm allowed to worship God. And so one of the things, especially with children, is that you need to figure out how your children express love to you and then enable them to show God love that way. And so one of the things you may have noticed that all the kids today have a sheet of paper and it's in a little slip cover with a dry erase marker and an eraser. And on one side it says, God, you are. And on the other side it says, God, thank you for. And we're encouraging them today throughout this worship service to worship God in ways that are appropriate for children, which is to draw pictures and to describe how good God is and to think about the things that he's done for them and to thank him for that. It's arts and crafts time, which is how children often show their parents adoration. And if the way that you show people that you love them is spending quality time with them, then you need to spend quality time with God. And if the way that you show your affection for people is to go spend time with them in the outdoors on a hike, go on a hike with God. Right. If the way that you show affection to someone is writing them poetry or creating something for them, do that for God. All of those things are worship because they are showing God your adoration for him, that you care about him. And so it doesn't have to be musical. Today we are going to spend time singing to God, but, but this morning, if our singing to him it is just, you could sing all day till your tongue is dry and your voice runs out, and if your heart is not in it, then you haven't worshipped. Worship is not limited to singing, it's any way you show adoration to God. But if your singing lacks adoration, it is not worship. We need to have our heart and mind engage in expressing our wonder of God when we sing to him for it to truly be worship. There's a, a song by a guy named Matt Redmond called Heart of Worship. The song Heart of Worship uh, came out of a season um, in the late 1990s uh, where there was a period of apathy within Matt's home church, Soul Survivor in Watford, England. And it's Soul Survivor, it's a pun. And if you can get a pun into your church name, I think you get bonus points. But that's the name of his church in England. Uh, and at the church, there was a time where, while worship was exploding in the community around them, what they were finding is that in his congregation, where he was the worship leader, they were struggling to find meaning in its musical outpouring at the time. 
This was an instrumental congregation. And the minister came to Matt one day and he said, listen, no one's heart is in our worship anymore. We're scaling it back until we rediscover the heart of worship. And they unplugged the sound systems and they put away the instruments and they showed up at church and the minister said to the church, we're not going to turn the music back on until you rediscover the heart of worshiping the creator God. And he says it led to some really awkward times as no one knew what to do. But, but over time, people started to rediscover their love of God and their desire to cry out with how great he was. And they began bursting out in a cappella worship and joining with one another. And as a community, they found their voice to give, give voice to their heart for God again. And they began worshiping uh, earnestly. They began worshiping in ways that were exciting, but were filled with passion, not volume. Out of that season, Matt, who was a songwriter, wrote a song called Heart of Worship. And the song reflects on what he and the church were experiencing at that time, that they had gotten too much into the show, too much into the performance, and they had lost the plot of God's salvation and their love and gratitude for that salvation. And the song Heart of Worship uh, goes something like like this, and this is some of the words that uh, I want you to hear this morning. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring Something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. 
I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it when it's all about you it's all about you Jesus so I'm writing the lesson and I get to this part and I find myself thinking I, I wish I was good at singing and I would sing this song uh, in front of the congregation and I thought but I, I, I know me as we've covered before but then I remembered that would be a good excuse if it was all about me It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. And so what I bring him is more than a song. And what you bring him is more than a song. Because it's about about your heart. And suddenly it doesn't matter if you know pitch. And it doesn't matter if you know the melody. Because it's all about Jesus. And it's not just about what we send. It's also about what we receive. It's not just about us sending adoration to God. And this is how we so often think about worship. If you've ever heard worship described as us sending our adoration to God, or or we get the idea that that we hit send, and then God checks his prayer mail, and there it is, and, and he receives it, and he goes, well done, worship complete. I think that's so often how we think about worship. We, you've heard people talk about worship as an audience of one, and there's some validity to that. But not only is it about us bearing ourselves and giving God our, our truest, most genuine adoration, but it's also about us being changed in the presence of God. Worship is a two-way street. Worship is a time uh, that we come to God with prayer and praise and thanksgiving and adoration. Those are the human activities of worship. But worship is at the same time a sacred space. It's a time when we come into the presence of God. And we need to really, really expect that if you come into the presence of God, you should leave different. If we believe that the Spirit of God is present when we worship our Lord and Savior and the Creator of the universe, if we believe that the Spirit is present, don't you think we should be shaped by the Spirit? N.T. Wright writes about this, and he talks about the two golden rules of spirituality. And I want to just read this to you from him. He says, you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship when you gaze in awe and admiration and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on the character of the object of your worship. So those who worship money become eventually human calculators. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. Those who worship power become more and more ruthless. So what happens when you worship the creator God whose plan to rescue the world and put it to rights has been accomplished by the lamb who was slain? What happens when you worship that God? Well, the answer comes in the second golden rule. When you gaze in love and gratitude and 
the God who made you, because you were made in God's image, worship makes you more truly human. More truly human. When you gaze in love and gratitude at the God who made you, you do indeed grow. You discover more of what it means to be fully alive. Conversely, when you give that same total worship to anything or anybody else, you shrink as a human being. You are less of a human being than you were to begin with. That is the price of idolatry. God created us as worshiping beings, and you become like what you worship. If you genuinely worship God, you will be shaped into the image and character of God. And it's done by the power of the Spirit so that we become the body of Christ in the world. That happens in worship. Worship changes you. And you can worship celebrities and dress like celebrities and talk like celebrities, and you'll begin to be like them. You can worship sports, and you'll begin to be like the competitive athletes who are on the field. You can worship all kinds of things, and it will shape you to be like what you worship. But if you worship God, in whose image you are made, you will become more fully human and more in his image the way he designed you to be. Ephesians 5, which Kevin mentioned in his prayer early, earlier, says this. This is Ephesians 5, verse 18. We know the end of this verse more than the beginning of it. He says, listen, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We focus on the part about the, the psalms, the hymns, the songs from the Spirit, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, the, the way that we practice worship. But what happens when we do those things? The beginning of the verse says that we are filled with the Spirit. Worship is a two-way street. If you are filled with God's Spirit, you should expect to be changed by that Spirit dwelling within you, letting the contagious characteristics of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit take root inside of you. Worship isn't something we send to God and He receives. It's a two-way location where we should show up and expect to be changed. When we are in God's presence and His presence is in us, we should expect to be different afterwards than when we showed up. We should expect to be transformed by the Spirit within us. Every single week when you show up, don't just show up to worship expecting that you're going to send some of your adoration to God. Show up expecting that God's going to show up and transform you by the power of His Spirit more into the shape of what He desires you to be. So that you leave on Sunday morning, you leave church, and you are more of who God needs you to be for the rest of the week because you worshiped today. Because you adored God today, and you become like what you adore. The passage Alton read today tells us the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem when they were preparing to crown him as king and messiah. And, and he comes in, we call it the triumphal entry, but he's coming in, and, and there's all of this expectation, and there's all of this anticipation. And, and it brings us... Uh, to the, the other definition of worship that I want to do, and, and this is kind of headed towards the last point here. 
The last definition of worship is one that's not from Webster's Dictionary, but it's from uh, the study of how worship functions in, in the life of the church and in the life of Christians. And worship in this way is seen as when we engage any part of ourselves to give added worth to God. Anything that we do that says, God, you are great. Anything that we do that declares to ourselves or to God or to anyone that's watching that God's worth is great is worship. And it's the way of lifting him up and exalting him. It's a way of saying to the world, our God is good and worthy of praise. And you can do it with, with the spoken word. And you can do it with song. And you can do it by serving widows and orphans. We're told in scripture that that's the most true form of worship. If doing that exalts God, then it's worship. Because it increases God's worth. So here's this scene where these people come together and they are celebrating the worthiness of Jesus. And as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a colt, uh, here is what happens and what takes place there. Starting in verse 36, it says that as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There is not a version of this day that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem that he will not be praised. If the people won't do it, the rocks will. And I want you to fill this moment. I want you to experience what he was going through. Let's declare what the people were saying there. Together, let's all read, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Again, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And as the people chanted that over and over again, the Pharisees said, this man who is an untrained son, who has no father, a son of Mary, born in Nazarene, is not our king. And if he's going to let the people act like he is, then we've got a problem. And they go to Jesus and say, listen, we know you can't be the king. And they're acting like you are. You have to tell them to be quiet. And he says to them, the rocks will cry out and declare my glory and my worth if my disciples shut their mouths. And this is our call to worship. This is our call to never shut our mouths when the world says that Jesus isn't king and you need to quit saying he is. We say, you know what? If we quit proclaiming his worth and his greatness and that he is king, then the rocks will say that he is. And I'm not going to let a rock say what I'm supposed to say. I'm not going to give my job to give worthiness to God to a rock. So this morning, as we engage in worship together as a family, 
and those who are worshiping online in their homes, and as we do this together as, as a community of people, here's the things I want you to remember, not just for this week, but for every time that you come to worship God is this, is that when you strip all of the musical stuff away, worship is about getting back to the heart of declaring how much we adore God. And you can sing great without adoring him and you've done nothing. And you can sing terribly with adoration and you have made God great. When you come to worship, you should show up and expect that God's got a gift for you in his presence and his presence in you. That if you will open yourself to the gift that God has for you today, God's got something he wants to give you. If you will just in worship open yourselves to receive it. And don't ever, ever give up your opportunity to praise God to a rock. Because God will be exalted in all the nations and in all the world. Let's stand and worship God. pause for a moment where um, those who attended the service in Spanish are going to rejoin us for the remainder of our worship service. We'll be singing number two out of the songbook if we don't get the slides up. And we're going to sing all five verses because they're all good. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy
the remainder of our service, I would encourage you to sit, stand, kneel, whatever you feel comfortable. And I know that even offering that choice can feel awkward. But seriously, anyone who, who needs to sit, that is totally fine. Um, as Kent said, it's not about, it's not about us. It's about our Lord and Savior that we are praising. Um, there was a song that came to my mind as I was preparing for this uh, for our service this morning, and it's not one that we're going to sing this morning, it's just one I want to read a little bit of the lyrics of. It's by songwriter Jimmy Needham, who's one of my favorites, and um, he, he writes a lot about um, getting ourselves out of the way so that, um, so that God can be praised. And he has a song called Clear the Stage that is literally about that. It's about clearing the stage of all of the idols and distractions that so easy for us to latch on to. I thought it was neat that Kent shared the story that he did of Matt Redman's song. It was much the same. It was about clearing the stage of what had gotten in the way for the church of worship. And so I just want to read some from the second verse and, and the chorus, and then we will sing. Um, I'll lead one more song before I hand it over to Nathan. Um, Take a break from all the plans that you have made. And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him, please, to open up his mouth and speak. And pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Because you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. Still get it wrong. Worship is more than a song. Right. This time we're going to sing. And here I am to worship. And at least for me, so that I can practice what I read. I'm going to come down off of the stage and just look at the screen with you all.